start with Peter. Peter is one of the most well-known character in the Bible. And so um, we're going to take a look at just a little bit what Peter has to say to us today and how relevant it really is in our lives. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to verse number 8. First Peter chapter 2. It begins from the English Standard Version. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So I want you to highlight that. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Verse 5, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. Let me invite you to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. I ask the Holy Spirit that you will lead me and guide me, and we pray for our time together that you will minister by your spirit. We honor you, we praise you, we glorify you. Lord, have your way in this place this morning. Remove every obstacle that will hinder us from connecting with what you're doing. Remove every distraction. For we live in an hour where we need to hear the word of the Lord so clearly. We come against every deception, every work of darkness. For we declare that we are shining the light of Christ in this nation. So you be glorified. We honor, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Today we're going to talk about... A continuation of where we left off last week, and I'm entitled this message, really build your, I'm going to put a blank there, life. So it's build your, I'm going to put a blank there, space, life. By the end of the message, I pray that we'll be able to fill in that gap. So it's build your, if you're taking notes, build your, put a line there, life. Build your Space, life. I think it was three days ago I was walking to my home, walking to my apartment. And my heart was heavy for this nation. My heart was heavy for this nation. And I said, God, what are you saying to us? There are so many noise. There are so many, there's so many uh, a noise that, that, is, that is just being... Um, that's just causing so much confusion. There's so many things that's going on. And I asked the Lord, I said, God, what are you saying to the church? I want to encourage you to do that this week, this month, or sometime in your Christian journeys, to ask the Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing 
in this nation. I promise you it will change your outlook and how you see things. By design, it's supposed to do that. By design, if you ask the Lord the question, especially if you believe that God is on the throne, especially if you believe that this nation must be a nation under God, especially if you believe that people are dying and some don't know Jesus and they're going to an eternal place of separation from God. If you believe those three things, we ought to get on our knees. Perhaps before you go to bed and say, God, what are you doing in this hour, in this season? God, what are you doing in this nation? Have you ever done that before so I can know I'm not the only one? Have you ever gone to that place of where you see outcomes and you see different narratives being taught and different narratives being proclaimed and different things that are, that are being considered propaganda and you see things that are just there, not just to inflict your feelings, but to change the way you think? Have you ever gotten to a place where you wonder what in the H-E double hockey stick is going on? Have you ever gotten to that place? Didn't cuss, I spelt the word. Um, in case I just lost you right there. But you must get to that place where you, where, where you come to some sense of peace in your heart. Because I don't know how you do it to live in the turbulence of just shifting sand that's taking place. How do you build your life? If there is no sense of peace that you can stand on something. That one year it's this, but the next year we evolve into something different, something new. Come on, church. This is a reality of our world that we live in, that this year it could be this. But I promise you, give it a couple of months. And based on the media, based on the various gates that you have access to, your ear gate, your eye gate. Your mouth gate, what you touch, the five senses. Eventually, you're going to move from thinking to feeling. And you're going to cement your feeling and it becomes your truth. Because it's what you experience. Have you ever gotten to that place? We're asking yourself the question. Because you can't even be in ministry without having walking through that. Because I'm here to tell you it's easy to build something. If you use the systems of this world, because the world celebrates those things. Uh, the first thing we see in the scriptures in Genesis, the first building project that we see was when God told them after they came out of the ark was for them to, to disperse and, and to fulfill the mandate, God's mandate. Come on, somebody. God's mandate that was there before any other. God's mandate was always there for us to expand his kingdom. And so the first we see is that, is that we see here that it was to build the tower that says, let's build a tower unto our name that can reach the heavens. And so what we find is people are building things for their name, their cause, their position. And so when we take a look at today, I hope in a few minutes I just had spent that you would get to a place where you're saying to your husband, to your wife, to your children, or perhaps to yourself, I got to get on my knees and ask God, God, what is going on 
And what is your message? So therefore, my life can be in alignment to what you're doing in the earth. This is all hands on deck, church. You can't sit on the bench anymore. I'm sorry to say, but you got to get in the game. You got to get off the bench and you got to get into the game because people are having mental breakdown and addictions and homelessness. And that's why we're downtown to declare in a city, come on, that Jesus is Lord. And so therefore he can bring your life to a place of where you can fill in the blank, the space, build your life. This is all hands on deck. This is not a moment for us now. To have our heads in the sand. It is, it is not that anymore. It is clear from the word of God. It is clear from the signs of the times. That Jesus' return is ever so near. It's not a scare tactic. This is a reality. Perhaps your parents and their parents told you Jesus is coming back and you have in your mind well it's been so long they had in the same scriptures as well they were saying when is he coming back I'm here to tell you it doesn't take a scientist it doesn't take the greatest genius on the planet to look into the word of God and to look what's happening and not to declare I must build my life on something that is going to last because everything around me is falling now And so when we take a look at Peter, Peter's a great example because we see Peter's journey as really our journey as well. That when Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 verse 4 as we come to him, Peter has a long history that he doesn't want us to miss. Peter is in a place of where he was asking the question. He wasn't part of the elite group, but yet he was somebody whose life was affected by what was going on. And so Peter says, as you come to him But let's look at Peter's life, how he came to Christ, how he came to this particular understanding. Um, And I was talking about our choices. And if you want to look at someone who's made a lot of choices, you got to look at Peter. Can someone say amen? If you study Peter's life, you can see he was a man that made a lot of choices and a lot of statements that he had to put his foot in his mouth, right? That he was one that would make some declarations. So Peter is a great example of it. And so Jesus talks about the cornerstone, and Jesus is the one who said he is the cornerstone. Not the apostles. Jesus said that. He fulfilled Isaiah 28, 16. Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus said who he is. He said, I am the cornerstone. That's what he declared. And so we have to look at that. And so we see now that that Peter has to get to this place. And so I I love what Luke writes. And I was asking the Lord, I said, God, what was the first miracle in the book of Acts? Because maybe no one told you, but the book of Acts is still going on. It didn't end in the last chapter, by the way. It's not like the Holy Spirit took a break at the end of the book of Acts. That when Luke was finished, he said, okay, now the Holy Spirit's finished. No, the book of Acts is really how the church should function. It's really the act of the Holy Spirit living in this realm. And that's why all hands are on deck. And when you look at the early church, everybody got involved. Everybody did. There wasn't somebody who was on the sideline. Everybody got involved in what God was doing, the mandate of God. And so I said, God, what was the first miracle? And he said, the first miracle was the healing of the crippled man at the gate called Beautiful. What an amazing picture of God's compassion, God's grace. 
that he first begins, it says the first miracle is a crippled person. Crippled mentally, crippled emotionally, crippled in many different ways that wasn't able to function according to God's life. Here is Peter and John. They're going to the temple and they come across this individual. And here it is now that they do, that God used them to this miracle where this man is healed. So the first thing we see about the church that Jesus is building is a church that declares the healing power of Jesus Christ. That's why we preach healing. That's why we demonstrate laying hands. That's why we do it. And just because there may be a few scholars who would argue that it ended, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So they got to deal with that because I believe it says, according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith. And we must get to a place, church, where we understand biblical faith. They must get to a place where we understand what it means to have faith in God. Because our salvation depends on our ability to understand faith. Not feelings. You didn't get saved because your feelings told you. Oh, let me teach this thing. Because you got to understand, you need something that's secure. You need a platform. You need something. And so you didn't get saved because it felt good. You got saved because faith was in operation in your life. For the Bible says, by grace are you saved through what? Oh, come on. I thought it was through feelings. I got this weird feeling. No, 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 baby. You got saved because of the grace of God. And because of grace through faith, you got saved. And so the miracle takes place now, and the religious people got upset. And so they bring them into the court because they're trying to build their case against Christ. And Peter, come on, Peter opens up his mouth. And Peter declares, if you're examining us, oh God, what would it be if the culture came into TGP and examined what we were doing? Oh, come on, come on. There are some places the culture goes and takes a seat because ain't nobody doing anything there. They say, I'm coming right here because ain't nobody doing nothing. They're saying, devils, you can go up in that place because they welcome demons and devils. Everybody's sitting around. No one's participating. It's just, and they'll be over in 45 minutes. You can get home. Everything's good. But I'm here to tell you when you start to bring healing, come on, when you start to bring some things that shift public opinion, come on, somebody, when you stand for truth, you're going to be examined. They're going to say, what in the world is going on? And I love what Peter says. He says, this good deed. It was a good thing that this crippled man was healed. Come on. It's a good thing when someone who's on crack and cocaine can get delivered. It's a good thing when somebody, come on, who doesn't know Jesus gets delivered. It's a good thing. Come on. When your child comes back to Jesus. It's a good thing when your marriage is restored. It's a good thing when families are restored again and take the table back. It is a good thing. Someone please shout, good thing. Oh, yeah, I build my life on good things. For all things work together for good to those who love God, called according to his purpose. It's an amazing thing. I love hearing testimonies. I feel in my heart, the Lord was saying, man, it's like 2022. I know we're not there, but he's saying it's going to be a year of transformation. Of lives that are transformed, given their testimony, just being transformed. Of what God did. They're going to come out of hiding. They're going to go public. Come on with their praise. Somebody needs to write that down. That's a great thing. Come on. God help the church go public with praise. And so we see Peter does that. 
And so Peter gets us to a place where Peter is saying that, that the cornerstone of a building is often nowadays just a symbolic act. It's almost like they just do the cornerstone now because of technology, and it's just something symbolic of the building. It plays only a small role in the overall structure of the building or our lives. I want you to write it down. Today, what people are saying to you, as a believer, they're simply saying this, as I weigh everything, as I examine what I'm seeing, Christ only plays a little role in your life. And, and, that, and that's not put you down. That's just the reality. They didn't say you didn't believe he was a cornerstone. You're simply saying he's just one of the cornerstones. <laughs> Come on. Come on. And he plays just a small role in the overall structure of your lives. And so the danger with this mindset is that you can actually wear a cross as an ornament but never carry your cross in obedience. So you have a symbol of Christ being Lord of your life. But the reality is he doesn't play a significant role in your life. And so to build your fill-in-the-space life, we have to realize now that your salvation wasn't something simple. (laughs) Except in Jesus is a work of grace through faith. But it wasn't simple. It cost Jesus his life. Come on. So your salvation should not be neglected. That you start with understanding the fullness of the salvation. If I'm going to build my fill-in-the-space life, I've got to go back and understand what salvation really is then. Because it can't just be a symbolic act. It has to be something deeper. Why? Because if it's a symbolic act, what I will do is I will live on the surface and I can become a superficial, carnal Christian. And because everyone must get in the game, because every, people must get off the bench and get in the game. Why? Because souls are dying. Jude, the book of Jude says this, snatch them from the fire. That even the garment, that there are people whose minds are messed up. Why? Because they've been crippled. Come on, somebody. It's not necessarily because they sin. It's because of the world we live in. And they're crippled because of choices. Let, let the consequence, let the collapse. And so now they're saying, can someone please come and help me build my fill-in-the-space life? I'm going somewhere with this. You see, Peter understood what it's like to be up and down. Because Peter, in one moment, right, when Jesus says, he's in the boat with Peter, says, hey, Peter, uh, cast, cast your net on the other side. Peter goes, we've been fishing all day, Jesus. I don't know who you think you are, but we've been fishing all day. And it's not even the right time to fish. You miss the window of opportunity. How many have felt like that? Jesus, you missed the window of opportunity to bless me. So I'm going to take it from here. Come on. And next time I show up like this, be on time, Jesus. We don't say that because that's just cruel. But we feel that way. And so Peter finally realizes, um, okay, and he does it. And a large, come on, prosperity right there. Please understand this. Peter was a fisherman. He was in business. 
And I told you, God's not against capitalism. He actually wants us to prosper. And so we will miss that text about the abundance of the fish to catch to go talk about, oh, lowly, homeless Jesus. We need both. That's why we're going downtown, especially at night. And you go downtown, things are different at night, by the way. (laughs) You see things differently at nighttime. In every city, it's different. And so here it is now that for some of you, you're one decision away from the prosperity that God has for you to build that business, to, to, to do whatever God wants. You're one, right, I'm one decision away, come on, from changing my life. Here was Peter. Here was Peter. He says, you missed the wind of opportunity. I'm a professional fisherman. I know this thing. This is my profession. You're just a rabbi. You're a carpenter, by the way. And you're telling me, a fisherman, you're not in the right occupation. But because of your word, oh, come on, I'm going to let it down. And this massive catch would happen. And here's what you must get, TGP. Here's what we must understand. That Peter's obedience led to somebody else's prosperity as well. Because the business partner who was on the sea, mending their net. Come on, mending their net. The people who was on the sea, equipping their net for the next catch. What Peter did in obedience was super accelerate the prosperity. Oh my God. He accelerated the prosperity principle come on and that's what it is is that's what was taking place and so your obedience peter's obedience caused the people on the shore to come now to help him with the catch and everybody got blessed so the idea that god has dropped in your spirit you have to build that why because there's people dependent upon you and your gift and your obedience. See how it's so different now? You don't just live for yourself, but you live for other people, not to please them, because that's dangerous. Come on. Because you'll make them your God. Come on. You'll make them your source. And so we see Peter. So Peter, that was all good. And Peter's the guy. And which is so good. And Peter's the one that when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter pulled out his knife, his sword, he cut off the ear. That's Peter. You know what I mean? One day he's this, now he's cut off. That's Peter. Up and down, sinking sand. That's Peter. Peter's one of those individuals that in one breath can get a revelation and get a rebuke at the same time. Peter's the one that, that when Jesus asks, hey, who do people say that I am? He says, he says, you know, some are saying this, some are saying that. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And here's why the church is revelation. Because Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven, he revealed that to me. In other words, if we want direction for our lives, we've got to live in a place of revelation. A place of revelation. And so all of a sudden now, he, they get this revelation. Jesus now tells them, okay, I'm going to die. I'm going to go. I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to die in three days. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, be it far from me. It can't happen, Jesus. Rebuking Jesus. you got to be bold to do that. Rebuking Jesus. And I love this because Jesus then goes, and you have to have some real, real, because nowadays you can't do this. He looked at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus was able to discern the real motive behind Peter's heart. Come on. And if we're going to see people set free, we've got to get to a place where we can see behind what they're behind. Come on. You've got to write that down. We've got to see behind 
what's going on behind. Because when you just talk about what's in front, they can challenge that. But in the sermon, the church is the only one that can see behind what's behind. It's in the Bible. There's a, a, a text in the Bible. I think it's Jeremiah. Where the people are hiding behind the wall. They're doing their thing. They're doing all sorts of things, you know, against God. And they act as if God can't see them behind the wall. Right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, think about it, right? Many of the things we do that goes against God is because we don't think God's there. That he can't see what we're doing. And so what's important for us to understand is that we have to see behind what's really behind. You got to get to that place. Because if you ever get to that place and get to truth, you have to change what you believe. And that's scary. Because that's familiar. That's what you've been told. That's what you came to believe. And to change a belief takes a lot. Write this down, of grace. (laughs) To change a belief takes a lot of grace. And that's why it's not going to happen just with one post or one gram. You actually have to have coffee. Come on. And you have to do the hard work of extending grace. So you can speak the truth in love. Oh, come on, somebody. That's what's needed. And so when we take a look at our salvation, we can see that through this thing of, 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 of Peter, we can see Peter's up and down, and we can see what he was going through. But here's the key. Here's the key. That every rebuke, every correction, every choice Peter made, Peter always came back to this. The saving grace that Jesus is the cornerstone. No matter what he went through, he always came back to that foundation. That Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. So the first thing you must do then, if you want to weather the storm, and if you want to be successful, uh, if you want to succeed, you've got to get to a place where you understand your salvation. Because Peter was saying that what happened was this person's salvation, and they were looking at it, and they were examining it. So you have to get to a place where you understand what true salvation is. Is you must get up because the enemy will attack you. The enemy will try to do everything he can to talk you out of this salvation. He will. Peter, saving grace, every single one of us. If you walked away from the Lord for a few moments, a few years, a few centuries, every time you come back, it's because the saving grace of God brought you back to Jesus, the cornerstone. Every single thing. It comes right back to that, that Jesus is the cornerstone. Can I teach this, please? Can I, can, I, can I teach this? Here's the deal. Remember, the prodigal son came back, and he didn't fully understand salvation. He came back to tell the father, let me work off the money I wasted. He didn't really want to be with the father. He just didn't want the father to be able to bring accusation against him. He came back and says, I will work it off so I can pay off my debt. So when I walk around you, you can't bring any accusation against me. That was a lie from the pit of hell. And we've got people who gave their heart to Jesus, but they're not free. And every time they come in again, the enemy reminds them of their past. Come on, somebody. And all of a sudden, they try harder, and they try harder, and they try harder. God says, be holy, not try harder. Oh, come on, write that down, baby. You've got to be holy. Don't be trying harder. Are you out of your mind? You think you can pay back God all he did for you? Stop it. 
And so they don't grace the church. Why? Because they miss a couple of Sundays. They feel guilty. And all of a sudden, the enemy is lying to them and says, they don't love you. And all these things are going on. And they're not understanding their salvation. Let me tell you the reason why. Moments when I'm driving and I feel like running my car into the pole, what stops me? Come on. It's because God reminded me when he saved me. Come on. And I tell that devil, you're a liar. Yes, he finds his way into my vehicle. I don't let him in. He finds his way in. He's the prince of the power of the air. Come on. Trying to mess with people's minds. And so you have to, or you hear me, you've got to understand your salvation. And when you understand your salvation, you understand why. Because in the same book of Hebrews, the Bible says, don't forsake the assembly of yourself together. Guess what, people? The church in the first century met every day. See, we don't want to read the book of Acts because they met every day. Children and all. There was no youth ministry. There was no children's ministry. They came together. Come on. Prove it, preacher. Someone say, prove it, preacher. Peter's locked up in prison. The Bible said there was a prayer meeting at John Mark's mother's house. Come on. And there was a little girl. She wanted to open the door. So I'm here to tell you that children were at the prayer meeting. Come on. And I remember growing up in church where everybody came to prayer meeting. You brought your kid and they got a pillow on the altar. Come on. And you did not move, but you kept them there hearing the word of God. And so we have moved so far away from that. Uh, not to bring condemnation, but to bring us back to how to build your life. Because guess what? I don't know if you know, but it's not working. What we're doing is not working. Oh, I wish I got a church that want to help me out. It's not working. People are still messed up. The culture is still corrupting the church. Come on. And it's not working, but we keep doing it more and more. If we just try harder, no, God says, be holy for I'm holy. Be holy for I'm holy. My God, this thing is so good. And so people are trying hard. And God is saying, be holy. And that's what Peter did. Every time Peter came back was Peter came to the saving grace because he understood this. Jesus is the stability of the whole system of salvation. Jesus is. Jesus is. Okay, so I'm preaching to the choir. I had to do that, right? It was important. It's important. Because the Bible even says that, that if it was possible, the elect would be deceived as well. So I was walking. I said, Jesus, what are you doing? My heart is heavy. What are you doing? And here's what he said to me. He says, Ro, I'm building my church. That was it. He didn't give me any formulas. He didn't give me anything like that. He didn't tell you I love me on more. He didn't say I love the kids more. He says, I'm building my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I am building in the midst of things looking chaotic and in the midst of shifting sand, the word of the Lord prophetically is this. I am building my church and the stability of the whole system of our salvation is based on that truth that Jesus come on is building his church. And so Paul, Peter begins and says, you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. In other words, this gospel is not going to be received by men, people. They're not going to receive the gospel. It's been rejected by men. I'm going to break this down because this is important. I want you to look at this. It's been rejected by men. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So we can see that Jesus Chosen and precious before God. 
this text, when we look at it, says come to him. It's an imperative or in other words, what it's saying is that you keep coming to him. It doesn't mean you come to him once and then you're over with. It means you continually come to him. Every morning you wake up, you come to Jesus. Why? Because he's your stability for the day. Every time you wake up and you go to work, you come back from work, you look at Jesus because he's the stability of your life. Don't ever get to a place where you think you can live without Jesus. Don't ever get to that place. And so Peter is writing and saying that you are a living stone. So what Peter did because the, 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 the Roman church, when they looked at it, because the first word uh, of, for, you know, Catholic, universal. And so they're talking about the one holy Catholic church. What they were talking about was this universal one church. There wasn't these different denominations, nothing like that. And so what happened was that they believed that Peter was who they're building the church on. And I'm like, I just declared Peter's character. There's no way that Jesus is gonna, God's going to build his life church on, on Peter. Come on, it can't be Peter. But he was in the room. Yeah, yeah, but it can't be Peter. It's got to be Jesus. So that little shift right there, come on, that's so important. That, that shift is vital. And enemy says, oh, if they miss that right there, I can always have them in a place of deception. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully with this. There's a period in your life where you will understand that the enemy no longer, no longer, right just now, can mess with your salvation. But it can keep you stuck. They'll get to a place where you understand that it's rock solid. I'm going to heaven, but he can mess and keep you stuck in a place where you know that you're saved, but your light is not shining. There's no influence in your life. He doesn't mess with anybody like that. He goes, I have no time to mess with that because they're not doing anything. And so what Peter is saying is that as you continually come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but this I've got chosen and precious. What he's saying is this, that every time you come to him, he's going to give you instructions for construction. <laughs> right? That, that's so cool. That every time you come to him, he's going to give you instructions for construction. Why? Because you made a choice based on foundation. And your choice, this is how you know if you made a choice for life, it will always land on the cornerstone. Every time it will. There is not a decision. If, if we have a conversation, then you have a conversation with anybody else in this room or any conversation that we have. If you make a choice and it leads to a consequence, it didn't land on the cornerstone. You're playing Russia. You're, you're messing with 50-50. Come on. And I don't know about you, but there are times where my flesh gets access to my mind and I make decisions, come on, based on my flesh, based on my insecurities, based on my past. And I don't know about you, but some decisions can't be 50-50. Ooh, come on, somebody. Come on. You can't pick somebody you want to live the rest of your life with and be 50-50. You can't build a business, invest thousands of dollars for 50-50. Where they tell you in five years of business, most business don't even last five years. The first two or three years. And you're going to drop some serious ducats. Come on, some serious cash on a business that you're thinking statistic and culture says it's not going to last past five years. Oh, you better make a decision based on the foundation. Come on, of the cornerstone. 
that it was God's will and no one could talk me out of it. I don't care what red tape I got to go through. I don't care what situations I'm facing. God told me to build this thing and I'm going to build it. Come on. If I've got to be like Noah, come on somebody and build an ark where people are saying it hasn't rained in years. I don't care, baby. I heard, oh my God, I wish I had somebody who had a word from God and you're still building, you're still trusting. Why? Because you know it was the cornerstone that told you this word. Peter's saying, if you come to him, you're telling him he's the cornerstone. Or you can play 50-50 and gamble. And I'm like, I can't do that. I can't do that. So you come to him for instruction, for construction. Because he's saying he's building the church. But what happens a lot of times is this. We overlook the significance of Christ being a cornerstone because... He's one of the cornerstone. So we don't understand salvation. So someone comes to Christ and what we did was this. Not intentionally. We just made Jesus one of the, he's not an idol in this case. He's a cornerstone amongst the other cornerstone. Because the cornerstones that you have are in the Bible. And so what happens is this now. We come in and what the enemy does real subtle, he says this. He makes Jesus just one of the cornerstone so that when the storms of life take place, we hold on to what we perceive to be more stable. Come on. Come on, somebody. So I grew up in poverty. So when God gives me access to prosperity, that now becomes the cornerstone. We say, thank you, Jesus. But this is it now. And so what happens? We get greedy and and we start to covet now. Why? Because we came from a place of poverty. Christ came into our life and gave us prosperity. And we say, thank you, Jesus. I don't need you anymore. I got this cornerstone now. The cornerstone is still there when I need him. But right now I'm going to be building my life on this. We no longer... Have the commitment we did to our first love. Now that we don't love him, he's just not our first love right now. And the enemy deceives us now by saying, but it is Jesus. And he goes, oh, no, no. No, no, if you come to me, that's not what it is. And so here's what the deal we have to look at. He's one of the cornerstones out of many that we build our life on. He said the cornerstone was always the first stone laid during construction. So every time, listen to me, every time you gather together and you come to the word, and men, we're having a Bible study tonight at 6. And every time we come, first thing we come to is the cornerstone. Every choice, every decision, every feeling plants right here. Right here. You wrestle with those decisions. You wrestle with those things because it has to land on the foundation. You can't move until it's landed on the foundation where you know, okay, he's the cornerstone. He's number one. You got through the agendas. You got through the motive. You got through the hurt. You got through the rejection. Come on, it takes time, right? You got to go. And so we don't like that, so we close the word. Oh, my gosh, exposing me too much. Wow. And then we go to another cornerstone we're familiar with. And we go to one called family. Hey, what do you guys think? What do you guys think I should do about this? What does the word say? Ah, no, 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 no. What do you guys think I should do? And we live this life of where Peter is saying when you come to the cornerstone, he's the first stone laid for construction. So you come to get instruction. Then you go to the family and tell them this is what God is saying. Can you confirm? Come on. Ooh, 
Come on. Because God gave me instruction for the construction of the family. But we come to the family for instruction. And what we do, ready for this, is we deconstruct the word. And there's a movement out there called deconstruction. Oh, come on. Because we get instructions, not from the cornerstone, but from a society that actually reject Christ. You see, you must understand, and let me get to this point, right? Write this down. There are seven competing cornerstones that you build your life on. Seven. I'm going to give you these seven. There are seven competing cornerstones in your life. And this is how we've done church. We, we looked at the book of Acts, and we're like, okay. And so, again, because there was, there's a last chapter in it. And so we have started to build church based on a Babylonian system and not on the biblical mandate of the word of God. Because we're competing with a culture that's taken our devotion and our affection because we get instruction from the culture. Here's how humans behave. And if you want to have a perceived success, do it this way. And guess what? It works. It works. Here's how you build a church. You make it a five-star hotel. Because nobody wants to come to a place where they only get a three-star. So you get all the bells and whistles. Get everything you need. And let them have an amazing experience so they want to come back again. Why? Because they're competing with the world. And every Sunday is a performance to outdo MTV and all the culture out there. Because we don't have the power to tell the culture, get away because you have no authority in my life. I'm not saying every big church is doing that. I'm simply saying the temptation is there to do that. For those watching, I'm not saying, no, we want to have big, we want, we want to have that. That's, that's not the key. But what I'm, saying, I'm telling you is that the method of how to grow your life is right there. And the enemy says, keep doing that way. Because what you would do is build superficial believers that has a symbol of salvation, but no substance behind it. We can't have that. Not, not when you're trying to raise your grandchildren. Come on. Not when you want to be able to marry a man and a woman. Come on, somebody. There's seven competing cornerstones of these, and these sounds really good. The first one is the single life. It's a cornerstone, the single life. And in the single life, there are subcategories to this. My body and who I'm with and a single life. That's a competing cornerstone. For some, it's how do I handle the season of being single? How do I navigate that? Um, and so that can become a competing cornerstone. So because I'm single, I'm really responsible for nobody. I can just live in the way I want to because I'm not hurting anybody. That's making single life a cornerstone. As opposed to it really being my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit and God has access to it. The second one is the married life. Now, these are in a particular order. This is how I wrote them down. The married life. That's the second one, the married life. Uh, The third one is the family life. The family life. Another one is the work life. I got three more. The financial life. Stay with me. This is the big one right here. The political life. Ooh, come on. Clap your hands for that one. Amen, somebody. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. 
Am I an R or a D? Come on, somebody. I can't believe that Lord is right. You know what I'm saying? And number, this is the big one, the religious life. These are seven competing cornerstones that the Bible talks about. And you can add an eighth or a ninth. I got seven. But with the subcategories, what we have done is this. Because these are competing cornerstones. And because of a shallow salvation, what has happened is people are not walking in victory. And so therefore, because of the stress of life, what they do now, the mental strain. Ready for this? They compartmentalize their life because life is complicated. Don't let me lose you. Stay with this. I'm telling you right now. This is how sermons are birthed. This is how we do church. This is how we function. Is because these seven ways of life, these seven competing cornerstones are frustrating because they're all moving at the same time. And you're trying to understand what's going on. So there's a season where it's your married life. There's a season where it's your family life. There's a season where there's finances. There's a season where it's your work. There's a season when all those things are going on. And all those things are for Jesus Christ who is the cornerstone because here's the deal. Every single one of these things I listed will not last. The temple was destroyed, religious life. Come on. The political life. Rome wasn't always the empire. Come on, somebody. The financial life. There will be times in your life where your finances will dry up. The work life. There's times where you may get fired. Come on, somebody, right? There, your family life. They may abandon you. They may leave you. Your married life. They may, they may check out. And also your single life. You'll never always be that. These are the seven competing cornerstones. And what we did was this, because life is complicated, and there's no clear winner. Because you could take someone from the culture who's bound the same seven competing things and bring them to the church, and there's no difference. Because we haven't taught them salvation. We taught them a symbol of how to compartmentalize. The challenge that you're facing. And what you're missing is the religious life. Because they come with the six. What you're missing is the religious life. We don't say what you're missing is Jesus, the foundation of everything else. Keep those things. Come into church. You don't, if I heard it once, I've heard it once. You don't have to change. What are we telling people? We're lying to them. First of them, they have to work harder, which is a lie. Then we tell them they have to change, which is a lie. Can we please, church, tell the truth? Jesus is the cornerstone of your life. What you're facing is a competition. The culture is competing. Come on, for Christ in your life. Let's start telling them the truth so they can be set free, please. So somebody walks in and their marriage is in shambles. Don't give them cultural remedies for that. Give them just as the cornerstone. Not your marriage. Jesus is. So come to Jesus. Get instruction for construction. Now go build your marriage. Because you have the instruction from Christ. Not the culture. Come on somebody. The church is being examined by Jesus. Because he's building it. It's not the examination that the religious people did. Jesus is coming to his church and he's saying, who am I competing with? And so what we have done 
is that because the best thing is to compartmentalize. You know what that means? Compartmentalize means this. It's to separate into isolation or categories. So Sundays, that's my religious life. Monday is my work life. When I'm home, it's my family life. When I'm here, it's my married life. When it's this, I'm like, aren't you exhausted? I don't know anybody that can live all seven like that successfully. You're going to cheat somebody. Come on. Nobody can do that. You can have a mental breakdown. Stressed. Because those things are competing to be. And so things happen. Like if I just work more. If I just work harder. Then that can fix everything. And my family can go and have all this stuff. No. Because guess what? A storm is coming. There might be an economic collapse because of what's taking place in this nation. Come on somebody. And what happens if the economy dries up? Listen. If America doesn't get its act together. We may not be the currency of the world. And it's the church, hallelujah. It can't be other institutions. It's got to be the church that stands firm and says, no, Jesus is the cornerstone of this nation. So when we say one nation under God, it's not political. That can't be my cornerstone. When I say one nation under God, it's because Jesus is the cornerstone. And for us to survive, for us to make it as a nation, we must make him the cornerstone of our lives. So what we do is this. Pastors address the reality of compartmentalization. But we don't speak to the revelation of the cornerstone. See? It's great to get a message and we will have series on how to, how to build your family and how to, how to build your marriage and, and things that relate to you. We have to have those. But guess what? I can preach a message on how to have a healthy marriage and never bring Jesus into the picture. People in the world have seminars like that. And Christ is never mentioned. And so when they come into the church, they found their religious life. And all that happened was Jesus became one of the cornerstones. See, to answer the question, to build your space Life, it can't be any one of these seven. It's got to be build your whole life. W-H-O-L-E. Because when Peter was before the religious leaders, he said to them, it was Jesus that made this man, watch us now, walk in wholeness. Come on. Peter addressed every issue he addressed the reality but he also addressed the revelation oh come on Peter addressed everything that was necessary because guess what him being crippled affected his married life him being crippled affected his family life if he was married him being crippled affected his single life who wants a crippled person come on his situation affected his work life he's begging for stuff his situation affected his financial life his situation affected his political life his situation affected his religious life he's sitting outside of the temple but can't get in Peter walks by and Peter says no those are competing cornerstones what I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. My God. He is the cornerstone. And stop compartmentalizing your life. Stop doing that. Because 
it is so easy to give you principles without power. It's so easy to give you pleasure without true joy. It's easy to entertain without you encountering Jesus. You may have never heard this before, but in the circles that I run with, I'll hear people say, I've been in church all my life and I've never heard the gospel. That's a shame on the church. This individual heard a story of him. Went to this other church. And he came into this one church. He was talking to the pastor. And he finally came to someone, give my heart to Jesus. And he goes, I've been in church for so long and I never heard the gospel that Jesus is the cornerstone. It was just one of my cornerstones. You see, we must live and build our lives on Christ, not near him. We must live and build our lives on Christ, not beside him. We must live and build our lives on Christ, the solid rock. TGP, where we are going is that Jesus is building his church. And I want every single one of you to connect. Don't disconnect. This is not the moment to disconnect. This is the time to come to Jesus to receive instructions so you can then start to build. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he calls you an architect. And this nation, hear me now, will be built because the church is essential. This nation will prosper because of the ecclesia. The church, excuse me, the nation will prosper because we are the embassy of the kingdom of God. And if that's the case, then it does matter, as I quote Alicia Prudent, who says what you build as a Christian matters because it becomes part of what the Lord is building in the kingdom. So build it based on the cornerstone. So what if today, your next decision You decided, I'm going to build my whole life on Jesus and not just compartmentalize. What if today you choose to make decisions that reveal Jesus as the true foundation, the center of your life, the one you are building your life on? See, Peter begins and he says, Peter begins. He says, you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus must be your only cornerstone. He must be that. He must be that. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and it's so amazing. Um, True, full disclosure, I called the person to get something. But as I was talking to them, the way they answered the phone, I was like, oh, I can't do that. Listen to me, church. Be discerning. Sometimes people want instruction for construction. Bring them to Jesus and not to compartmentalize the reality of their life. Listen to them on the phone as they were talking. And I said, oh my gosh. I said, who's your cornerstone? Do you know what I mean? Been in church all. What do you mean? I said, who's your cornerstone? And she was sharing with me some of the challenges she was going through and some of the things that happened. And I'm saying to myself, oh, no, 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 no. No, you can't fix that till he's the cornerstone. It's going to crumble again. And God's confirming. He's saying, church, I am the cornerstone. And I will compete with nobody 
And if you are building a ministry, building a life, and you want to walk in wholeness, it comes to you realizing that when you come to Jesus, he's a living stone, rejected by man, but no, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And so do you and to me, the church that Jesus is building, we're going to declare, ready for this? We are going to, my last thing is this, we're going to confess and renounce every other cornerstone. We're going to say, and I quote, I confess, Lord, that I'm tempted to choose other cornerstones in addition to you. I want to build my life on the foundation of of rationality. I want to build my life on family. I want to build my life on success. I want to build my life on my ability to control my life. God, I confess it's not that I don't want you to be one cornerstone of my life, but I find it easy to hedge my bets. And have several cornerstones because of the storms of life and the reality of a corrupt world. Jesus, I'm living in a world of competing viewpoints. And the only way I can be stable is if I have several cornerstones. But I confess as of today. And I declare that I'm going to build my whole life on you and you alone, Jesus. I'm going to build my life on you and you alone, Jesus. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Family is too important for you not to build on the cornerstone of Christ. Marriage is too important for you not to build on the cornerstone of life. Living a single life of productivity and prosperity is too important for you not to build it on the cornerstone of Jesus. Politics must be built on the cornerstone of Jesus. It has to be. It can't be, well, this is what I think. No, it's got to be built on the cornerstone. Because if a destiny of a nation, we get it wrong with our decision, we will suffer the consequences of that. We must be people who understand the cornerstone of Jesus. He must be the center of our life. If you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor Roe, I have built my life on competing cornerstones, but I confess today that I'm going to walk in wholeness, that I am going to build my life, my whole life, on Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want you to lift that hand up, not for public show, but for a personal conviction. I'm going to build my life on the cornerstone of Jesus. Come on, come to Jesus, says the message today. Receive instructions, receive instructions for the construction of how to build your life and those around you. In 28 years of marriage that we celebrated yesterday, I have to let you know that the only reason why is because in the rough seasons of life, we anchored our hope in the cornerstone of Jesus. We said, Jesus is Lord, and by his grace, we'll come to him. Every argument, we come to Jesus. Every disagreement, we come to Jesus. Every challenge, we come to Jesus. When one doesn't want to come, we grab and says, come to Jesus, because we cannot compartmentalize our lives for risk 
that we will make Jesus the Lord of our life. The altar is open. And if you either want to be where you are, make that an altar, you want to come here and have me pray for you. But I want to pray that every competing cornerstone is gone from your life right now and you are going to receive the instructions, revelation on how to construct a whole life that honors God. Father, in Jesus' name, I've let this word come forth. I pray now, Jesus, that you will have your way in the mighty name of Jesus. And I come against every competing arguing every single thought that's against you in Jesus name and I pray right now that there will be an influx that there will be people running to a gathering of believers who are going to let them know that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of their lives and they're going to receive a healing that's going to transform every area of their lives Father, we thank you for giving us church growth 101. And that is simply declare Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. The altar is available. I'm inviting some of the ministers to stay behind. If you need prayer, I want to invite you to come down for prayer. If right where you are, you want to make that an altar, go ahead. We're just going to take 60 seconds, then we're going to release you. But I want to encourage you right now, if you want to come to this altar here or where you are, make that an altar. But I want you to ask the Lord, God, is there any area of my life where I've made it a cornerstone that's replacing you? And we can pray and we're going to pray and we're going to believe God in the name of Jesus. Come to Jesus, the living stone. Church, come to Jesus. The living stone. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus.